Institute of World Mission podcast. You're listening to the show for Adventist cross-cultural mission enthusiasts. My name is Alex Ott, and together with the IWM team, we invite you to join us today. This podcast is a production of the Institute of World Mission brought to you with support of the General Conference Missions family of ministries and services. Greetings, friends. As you know, I get quite excited about episodes that feature cross-cultural servants doing the actual work in the field at this very moment. About you, about your stories. Today, however, there is even more reason for excitement. Today's interview is actually a story. It is a story of transition. Transition that all of us experience from time to time, with its challenges, opportunities, emotions, losses, and gains. My guest today is Teresa Wood. Together with her husband and four boys, they moved from Australia to Fiji. Teresa, like I said, a mother of four boys who deeply enjoys gardening, country life, who invests herself into growing men of God out of her boys, finds herself in a far-reaching transition process. I know Teresa's story will deeply impact not just your heart, friends, but the way you see God. God who is a part of your missionary lives. Together with Teresa, we hope that he is the biggest part. On to an interview with Teresa Wood. Teresa, welcome to the Institute of World Mission podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. All right. Well, now today we wanted to discuss the recent experience that you and your husband, Paul, and your four kids uh, had as you guys moved from Australia to Fiji. Now, it's going to be, I know it's going to be a story. Um, before we begin, though, tell us about you and your family situation prior to the call to Fiji. Okay, well, we had actually just moved when we got the call. We only just purchased 135 acres um, in the country, and it was quite a significant move for us because we'd actually moved eight hours north of our previous home. And it was a great move, a very positive move. As soon as we got there, we got very busy. We established a 50-tree fruit orchard. We bought a tractor. Um, our plan was to put in fencing, buy cows for the kids to have as pets. And I guess we were just living that country lifestyle. You know, we had our own bees, um, which gave ourselves, you know, some good quality honey, um, which the children used as a business as they sold the honey on. Um, we had our own little dog who was a truly a loyal friend for the children. And we were in the process of ploughing up a very, very large plot of ground for a very significant vegetable garden. Um, that's my passion. And uh, my passion is to, I guess, get to the point of being self-sufficient with vegetables. And, you know, I just love being outside. I love being outside with the sunshine on my back and the wind in my hair and the dirt under my fingernails and you know I guess it's my happy place to be in the country and you know for me this move was was just a, a lifetime dream come true um for the boys well we've got four of them uh, 13 11 8 and 6 years of age and you know we just uh saw that this move into the country was 
a good move for them just in terms of the physical labour that they would enjoy, the satisfaction of working on the land. Um, and we saw this property as a means of turning our boys into men. And so, you know, we were just very blessed to have the peace and the beauty of the country life around us. And, you know, it was just lovely to, you know, have our own little slice of Australia. And then the local church was fantastic. Um, we built up a lovely friendship group there. And then my husband, who's a GP, had uh, got a uh, joined in with a medical practice. Um, I guess one of the reasons that we'd moved into that area was that it had a very, very low socioeconomic um, setting. And this translated in terms of the health needs um, into the worst, some of the worst health statistics in our state. And so my husband felt that the health area, sorry, the needs of the health, the health needs of that area um, in terms of lifestyle medicine was particularly great. And I guess he saw it as a mission field of a sort for himself. And so that was our, just a little bit of a background on um, where we were and what we were all doing. Um, and, you know, in um, just a few words, it was great. <laughs> a very happy place to be. Mm. I can hear that. I can I can still hear your excitement about how how everything was coming together and just just uh, something that you all were very excited about. Now, how did the call come about into into the setting where you guys were? Okay, well, we've been there for five very short months, and my husband had been studying his diploma of lifestyle medicine at Avondale College, and he actually came to the point of graduation. So we went away for a weekend for his graduation weekend, and so we were a number of kilometres, sorry, hundreds of kilometres away from our home, and um, I just went out for an early morning walk uh, during the weekend and who should I bump into down the street as I'm walking along early in the morning but someone who actually works for the church and you know I just stopped for a social chat to you know say hello and um was just making small talk and then this man said well actually we were going to contact your husband in the next couple of days or weeks because we were wondering if your husband would consider taking a job as the health director for the Trans-Pacific Union Mission and moving to Fiji. And, you know, just like that, <laughs> you know, our perfect world, I guess you could say, shattered at that moment in time. And, you know, I remember being just so willing to follow what we thought was God's leading, but, you know, we just weren't sure about where we were being sent <laughs> because we were headed for Suva, which is the capital of Fiji, and it is a city. And, you know, I guess our family was enjoying living in the country. And, and you just began that life. You just, you just moved into that setting. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, like I guess I had this sense in, in myself that, you know, if God had a directed us to go and serve in a little remote village out the back of nowhere, it would have been a delight. But the thought of going to a large city and living on a small compound, you know, it just didn't seem to make sense. And I remember praying and saying, Lord, send me anywhere, send me anywhere except to a city, not, not to a city, Lord, please no. And I guess that's because for me, um, sacrifice 
was about leaving behind the peace and the beauty of the country. You know, the, the sunshine and the fresh air and the privilege of just being outside and working every day um, in the natural world and trading it all in for a city, you know, noisy, dirty, smelly. But, you know, God knew what he was doing and God knew that the city was exactly where I would be so far out of my comfort zone that I would be forced to trust him like I had never had to trust right. him before. Right. Teresa, what um, did it take um, your husband, you, you know, your family to actually accept the call? Well, to be honest, we didn't know if the call was coming from God or from, or from man for a little while because when we had moved to our property in the country, we had had some miraculous evidences that God's hand was leading us there. And, you know, for us to find ourselves being supposedly uprooted just five short months later kind of took us by surprise. And so, you know, we decided to just lay out the practical logistics to God and, you know, such as finding someone to take care of our property, particularly the newly planted orchard, because we couldn't just you know, walk away from, from that and hope that it would survive. And, right. and then we also needed somebody else to look after the dog. And, you know, we kind of laid out these two items as a type of a fleece before God. And, you know, he abundantly provided. But, you know, those two matters just put to one side for a minute. For myself, what was even more important was the boys, you know. And I guess... You know, being a mom, um, this really started to weigh heavy on my mind. You know, was it really going to be the best thing to take our boys to Fiji? You know, uprooting them out of the country lifestyle and then kind of plonking them down into the city. And I just couldn't foresee how I could parent them well in in a city. And, you know, they were just so used to living free in the country and you know, I became quite filled with fear and anxiety over this. And um, finally, I realized that I had to take the matter to God and I needed to go for a walk on my own and have a really good talk with God about it. And I, as I headed off for this talk, I was just um, so tense on the inside, just so filled with stress. And I'll be honest, trusting God in that moment was the furthest thing from my mind. But I will never, I will never forget what happened as I walked along in a not quite audible but very, very direct way. God said to me, can you trust me? Hmm. And I replied in very much a reflex response, yes, Lord, yes. And, you know, from that instant on, I had peace. I had peace about the move. I had peace about the boys and the boys' future. And, you know, what happened inside me between God and I in that moment was truly a miracle. And that was key, too, to helping us accept the call. Right. Thank you, Theresa. Thank you for being willing to share. And you and I, we realized that um, as we are moving further, you know, trying to tap into your experience. This is just the beginning. The transition is still ahead. Um, the Lord Absolutely. has just kind of helped you to make <laughs> this decision. And can you tell us a little bit of the story of how you guys have transitioned from this very comfortable to you and, and to your family's lifestyle into this foreign land, very different atmosphere of a city 
very different setting. How did this transition happen? Okay, well, let me tell you a little bit about um, the transition before we actually got on the plane. Um, you know, for anybody out there who's listening who is either in the process of transition or who has it behind them, they will fully understand and recognise, you know, that the, the weeks and the months before leaving get to the point where it's just beyond crazy. Um, my husband was continuing to work full time until we left and I guess I was left with the responsibility of um, getting everything done. <laughs> and, you know, that list of everything is just so so long and just it's like a giant mountain and you know I guess I had lists upon lists you know trying to support the process and then I had lists for my lists and you know it was just crazy it was chaotic and it was very very intense and I don't know that you can fully put that into words unless you've been there and you know yet in and amongst all of that intensity and you know process of actually accomplishing everything that needs to be done um you know, I was still, you know, like, I guess, grieve, starting to grieve some of the losses that were starting to smack me in the face every day, every day. And yet through it all, God just remained so faithful. He was just so, so close to me through this whole process. And I knew that, you know, like, I guess I could tell you story after story after story of answered prayers, you know, where, you know, God was indeed leading us through this process and I had no um, reason to question that as we went through this process of trying to leave Australia. Um, in, in God's perfect way, in God's perfect time, he seemed to be getting everything done. Um, you know, well, the intensity kind of built up and up and I guess it didn't really matter how organised I had been when it gets to the very last minute. Um, you know, there's just still so very much to do. And right. we got to the last day before the, the packers came. The packers were coming the next day and it was time to go to town for the very last time. You know, I still had a lot to accomplish and so I dashed mm. back into the day and I still had lots of things that I needed to get done in town because it was my last day in town before we left. And yet inside of me I was just in turmoil and you know I um there was so much emotion happening that I couldn't process in that moment but my head my head just said Teresa you've got to get on with the task and so I pressed down into the list of things to do in town and I was just dashing about town um like a woman on a mission trying not to think trying not to feel just trying to get everything done and you know I was praying as I ran along and I knew that God was with me um, and yet I didn't realise how close he was until I had to dash into one last store to grab one last needed item. And as I stepped into this store, I just stopped dead in my tracks because there was beautiful, beautiful heavenly music in that store. It was the song Near to the Heart of God. You know the song, it says, there is a place of comfort sweet near to the heart of God, a place where we our Saviour meet near to the heart of God. And, you know, that music just washed over me and around me and I just stopped in my tracks and, and then I realised that other people were watching me and so I kind of moved further down into the store and found somewhere that I could kind of hide in the back of the store there and the music just washed around me and lifted me up 
right into the presence of God where, you know, I found comfort suite to a place where I was just being held so tightly by God. And, you know, it was a moment I will never forget because I truly believe that God ordained that moment for me. He loves me so much because you and I, we know that usually, you know, storm music isn't of that sort of quality. I mean, how are we going to... You know, how can we go into a store and, and find beautiful music that lifts you to heaven? It just doesn't happen. And yet God in that moment, he knew my needs, you know, and he had me step into that store and and, and then he pressed the play button. <laughs> At least that's how I like to imagine it. And I guess what that spoke to me in that moment was that God saw the depth of my grief in that moment. And I want to say to the listeners out there, God sees the depths of your grief. And he will speak to you in ways that mean something to you. You know, God is with me wherever I go. And for the listeners out there, God is with you wherever you go. Wherever we go, we will be near to the heart of God. And, you know, it was experiences like this that, you know, happened even before we left Australia. And so before we even got on the aeroplane, I guess you could say my understanding and the faithfulness of God had grown because I had seen it firsthand. And I knew that I could be confident that we had nothing to fear for the future, except that we forget how God had led us in the, in the past. And I was certain of one thing, that is that God goes before us and he comes behind us and he's very, very near to us. And you know, I could ask for no more, no more. Right. Thank you, Theresa. So this this was, as you mentioned, your last day. You guys were about to move. Um, and in this process of transition, you've made the trip and have landed to Fiji as a family. So how was that? How did that <laughs> Yes, so we land in Fiji and most people assume that we have gone to paradise. Most people's pictures of Fiji are white sandy beaches and they consider it Pacific paradise. Well, that's how I But far from it. (laughs) Well, most people do, yeah. Most of, I guess, the images that are in most people's heads are photographs of the beautiful, well-manicured resort beaches that are on the far-flung islands of Fiji. They are there, but we didn't go there. We went to the city. We went to Suva City, which is probably about as far away as you can get from white sandy beaches. <laughs> so you're not, you're not actually close to the, to the ocean in any way? We're close to the ocean, but it's very dirty, very, very dirty, very polluted and, uh, and not a pleasant place to go, no. Um, yeah, so, yes, we arrived. We arrived in Fiji. We arrived during peak hour traffic and it was busy, congested, noisy, dirty, smelly. And, you know, that very first night I recall laying in bed that night and in, instead of listening to the sounds of nature, I lay there and I listened to siren after siren of ambulances going by and, you know, the whoosh, whoosh, whoosh of car tyres on the wet and rainy road. And, you know, in the days that followed, my senses were overloaded. The rubbish on the streets truly offended me and the noises of the sirens, they scared me. And the stench, the utter stench of the grocery store nauseated me. And, yeah... 
Right. It was tough. Would you please share, since since we've got this time with you, what did it take um, you, your your boys, your husband, um, primarily you, to transition into this particular environment? Uh, could you tell us a story of how the Lord has uh, has brought you into a place where you um, have felt that you are ready to live here? You know, you are ready to have your mission. <laughs> Okay, well, before I get there, I probably need to explain a little bit more about what happened after those first few days because I guess, um, let me back up, before leaving Australia, I had thought that essentially I would probably transition relatively easy, even though it was hard to leave Australia and all. But I actually thought it was my children it was going to, we were going to struggle. But in the end, it was quite the opposite. The children, they settled in very quickly. I guess children have a resilient attitude and, and a sense of adventure, and they're very good at making short work of finding friends to play with. And, you know, it didn't take them much to find simple joys and happiness. But it surprised me when it was me who started to struggle. Um, I guess in the build-up to leaving Australia, I've been under a lot of pressure with the weight of the moving process on my shoulders and then I arrived in Fiji and all that, you know, frenetic activity of preparing to leave just came to a very much a screeching halt and I found myself with comparably nothing to do and surrounded in an unfamiliar world. And, you know, in this I really hit a, a bit of a wall and it was a dark, scary world, wall. And uh, over the next um, following months, um, I... I tried to find fascination in my new, new world. I, I did my best to put on a positive mindset, you know, to wear a happy everything is just fine mask. But, you know, on the outside I probably looked like, like I was doing fine, but on the inside, mentally and emotionally, I really started to spiral. And I, I had this sense that, you know, I all of a sudden had no role. I had no purpose in life and I really didn't know who I was for a time. And, you know, all of the, the grief of all the, the losses, the goodbyes in the transition process kind of hit me after I arrived here. And um, on top of that, our family dynamics changed very quickly, very rapidly and significantly. I had been homeschooling uh, all of our boys, all of our four boys back in Australia. And when we moved here, we actually decided to put our two older boys into the international school. And so even that was a significant, you know, change and really changed the family dynamics. Um, my husband was travelling a lot, so that left me at home to, I guess, you know, just keep the keep the place rolling. Um, and that was in itself a significant change in dynamics because, you know, in the past, well, he'd always been around, you know, and and so it was all of these things that started to compound and, and you know, combined with that, the reality that I couldn't get out in nature like I used to anymore, you know. Previously, I'd been surrounded by the beauty of, of nature and it just wasn't there for me to access like I was used to and um you know even sunshine and blue skies just wasn't happening for me in fact for two solid months we had rain 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 and not a single break in two solid months there while I was in the midst of my struggle and you know that in itself can you know play havoc with your mind <laughs> and not not yeah. 
hugely, hugely. And, you know, and then there's other factors such as, you know, the social isolation and, you know, the reality that it's hard. It is difficult to connect with people who you don't know um, that you are from another culture and, you know, even harder still when you're actually struggling. It's not a good starting place for developing friendships and relationships. And, so in short, a multitude of reasons why I started to just simply feel that I was trapped. <laughs> you know, I was trapped and I wasn't happy. I wasn't enjoying it. And, and I started to become depressed, a state that I hadn't struggled with before. So it was very new territory for me. I, I'm not naturally, a, you know, that sort of a person. And, and you know, the, the depression became... Um, a, a difficult and a dark place for me because day after day I was trying my utmost best to fight it back. You know, it was like every day I had to face a tsunami and, you know, I would see it coming, I would try to get away from it and I couldn't and, you know, then it would hit me and, and it was just like a drowning blackness, you know, that I couldn't penetrate, I couldn't push it away and, and you know, a sense that, you know, my oxygen tank had just been kinked, you know, and I just wanted out so very, very much and I felt like I had gotten to the point where I was just nothing, nothing. And I had a desperate longing inside of me that, you know, that there would be something beyond my existence, than just simply existing because that was the point that I had felt that I'd come to in all of this. And, you know, I just wanted to close the curtains and bury my head in the blankets and go to sleep. But, you know, when you're a mother, <laughs> you don't have that privilege. You you know, life must go on for the sake of the children. And, and so, you know, this is what it was like for me. I found myself in this, in this dark, dark place. And, I just want to stop there because I think I've painted enough of a picture for you, but I just want to say at this point it would be reasonable for anybody out there listening to this to ask the question, what's happened to my faith? You know, what happened to that commitment to trust sure. God? Sure. You know, what, what happened to that assurance that I had that God is faithful? You know, is God still near me at this point? Do I still trust him? And, yeah. I, I guess that was the point that I had come to. First of all, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, I know it may not be easy to, to share something that personal, but as we, we, we know that we as people may go through very difficult situations like that, especially we as missionaries, when we come into a, a new place, a, a foreign place, a place where we can't uh, quickly settle into, um, that we may be affected. How did the Lord take you through this? If you would, if you would share with us, how did you find answers to the questions or to that darkness uh, that you have, to that wall that you have encountered? <laughs> sure. Well, um, somewhere in all of this, I I learned a valuable lesson. And I hope the listeners really lean in at this point because this is the bit they really need to hear. And I'm just going to summarise it for you in just three simple words. And this is it. This is what I learned. God is enough. God is enough. How did you learn this, Teresa? Amen. Well, I guess what I learned is that God is enough. When, when everything has been stripped away from you, God is enough. You know, when everything familiar has disappeared, 
God is enough. You know, when I was beginning each day with no sense of purpose and ending each day with no sense of accomplishment, God is enough. When you have no friends to turn to and you don't even know who you are anymore, God is enough. I learned that when all that brought joy and fulfilment in life is gone, God is enough. And when all of life has been upended because of the change and you are just feeling so disorientated because of it, God is enough. And, you know, this concept or shall I say this reality of God being enough became so precious to me because I realised that God was my one and only constant. He was the one and only thing that had not changed in my life. And, you know, he was faithful to his word in this and he proved to me that he could be trusted. You know, when I say God is enough, I'm not talking about feelings. I'm talking about faith. You know, Mm -hmm. when I was down there in the pit of depression, I had no warm, fuzzy feelings. I was flailing about. I I literally clung to God, you know, through sheer grit and determination. But in that process of clinging to God, I grew closer to him and he proved his faithfulness to me. This was very special. Thank you, Teresa, and thanks to your husband, Paul, and kids for being willing to share your story with us today. Moreover, friends, if you would like to get in touch with Teresa, this is possible. If you have similar feelings, challenges, as the kind of stress and depression Teresa had to work through, she would be happy to speak and pray with you. Her email is gardening. Four, number four, God's glory. No apostrophe, no dashes, no hyphens, all letters and one number. Let me repeat. Gardening four as a number. God's glory at gmail.com. One more time. Gardening four, God's glory at gmail.com. Now on another note, I am happy to report to you that Institute of World Mission has just launched a new website. Actually, today. It will now be a much more welcoming home for digital initiatives. We invite you to come check it out at iwm.adventist.org. Very simple address, iwm.adventist.org. One of the biggest things we are starting there as a a new initiative is the brand new IWM blog. If this podcast is all about listening and audio, the blog is all about reading and text and graphics. The two media outlets do not repeat each other, but rather complement. As always, we're there to help you live, serve, and witness cross-culturally. I'm Alex Ott, and I will be really happy to meet with you again next week.